If you have your Bible, you can open it to John chapter 18. That's where we will be this morning. We're going to do the whole thing, so we have a lot of work to do. Strap in, let's get to it. Um, As you're turning, I want to read something to you that I found, uh, found this morning. It's Friday night, and a young lady is at home waiting for her longtime boyfriend to pick her up for dinner. They have not selected a particular time for their date, but six o'clock, by six o'clock, she is waiting for, in her room for her evening to begin, and then it's 6.10, and soon it's 6.30. Finally, at 6.42, she hears a honk from her driveway. Fighting back disappointment, she storms to her boyfriend's car and climbs into the passenger seat. Where do you want to go, he asks. I don't care, she says. Nothing could be further from the truth. Panera, he suggests. His dad manages the local Panera, so it's clear that her boyfriend isn't really interested in spending a lot of money on her, and what could be more meaningful than bagels? They pull away, they arrive at the restaurant, and she dutifully picks two. He is quiet, a sure sign of his distraction and detachment. Each slurp of her broccoli cheddar drains away her soup and her hope for a wonderful evening. Want to go to the beach, he asks. The beach? Oh boy, if she had only known the beach, she would not have worn the cardigan sweater that she's wearing. What a disaster. Could anything have changed this evening? Now, imagine at the start of the same evening again, but at 6 o'clock, a young lady's, the young lady's phone rings and it's her friend calling from the mall. Hello, she says. Guess who I just saw at the mall? It was your boyfriend. Girl, he was at the jewelry store. And I saw him leave with a ring box. Tonight's night, you're going to get engaged. Start planning your wedding. Everything changes. Now each passing moment builds with anticipation in her heart. At 6.10, now at 6.30. Wow, she thinks. He must be planning something big. At 6.42, she hears a honk from the driveway. Fighting back excitement, she tries not to run to her boyfriend's car and climbs into the passenger seat. Where do you want to go, he asks. I don't care. This time she means it. Anywhere he takes her will be perfect. Panera, he suggests. His dad manages that Panera, so it's clear that something special at the restaurant is planned, and the bagels are shaped like, oh my. They pull away and arrive at the restaurant. As she orders, she is struck that she is picking two for as long as they both shall live. He is quiet, a sure sign that his mind is filled with the nervous gravity of the moment as she slurps her broccoli cheddar soup checking each spoonful for the hidden ring. (laughs) Want to go to the beach, he asks. The beach? Oh, my soul. The sun is going to set over that beach in about 30 minutes. What a perfect ending to the evening. The point is, when you know the end of the story, it changes everything. We're going to read John 18 today, and it's going to be awful. The stuff that happens in John 18, and then next week when we talk about the stuff that happens even worse in John 19, it's going to be awful. But when you know the end of the story, it changes everything. And today, I want us to examine John 18 from that perspective. And then my hope and my prayer is that we learn To be like Jesus in the middle of difficulty, knowing the end of the story in the middle of the story, and take that application 
and live our lives knowing the end of the story. So, since this is such a familiar passage that we're going to read, I want us to, we're not going to spend a lot of time dealing with the details of what happens, but instead, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look for the character traits and the personality traits of Jesus as he engages these things. And there's four things that I want you to see. I want to highlight these four character traits before we get into the actual John 18. First, the character traits of Jesus is that Jesus is meek. I think meek is a, I don't think, I I know meek is a very misunderstood uh, concept to us. We think meek, we think of like somebody who's shy or like unwilling to really speak. But meekness is, is deeper than that. It's, it's bigger than that. And it's important for us to put our finger on it. John Piper says this about meekness. It begins when we put our trust in God. Meekness begins when we put our trust in God. Then because we trust him, we commit our weight to him. We roll our anxieties onto him, our frustrations, our plans, our relationships, our jobs, our health. And then we wait patiently for the Lord. We trust his timing and his power and his grace to work things out in the best way for his glory and for our good. I want... I feel really dumb because every time I've preached since August the 9th, I talk about my city. I talk about Ferguson. And I think that's because it just overwhelms me. I've lived within a mile of where I live right now basically my entire life. And I'm overwhelmed and overcome by what's happened and what I expect to happen. But if we have the meekness of Jesus Christ, like, like what, can, what can hurt you? Like, we're so consumed with now. I got a report about three weeks ago. I texted some of you. My prostate cancer is, is hit my dad. And I'm overcome by that. Reports have happened, and it's, it's not nearly as bad as we thought, and whatever. I'll talk more about it later if you want to. But, like, the moment can be overcoming to us. But here's what I want you, here's what I I need for you to see as we read John 18 this morning. We know the end of the story. And and we are, we are eternal souls with finite bodies. But the way we interact with our world, we think we are finite souls with eternal bodies. And so what happens is, This very moment is tyrannical. And we've got to deal with this very moment here and now and how it affects me in this moment. But to be like Christ is to be meek and understand that what happens on this planet is one, momentary, and two, Jesus is going to work it out for your good. 
period. Not comma, but, period. We need to see the meekness of Christ. Secondly, we need to see the obedience of Christ. For us, I think obedience is a, it's, it's like a, it's a churchy word, like be obedient. It's something our, our, our Sunday school teachers taught us. It's something our parents taught us. Be obedient. It's something I teach my kids and get frustrated when they're not. But in the, in the middle of, of hard, trying, overcoming circumstances, foremost, Jesus is obedient. He does what God has called him to do and what God has created him to do. And what is the response of that? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the response of God to Jesus' obedience. The third thing I want us to see, and this is what I want us to, to really focus in on, Jesus has perspective. Jesus has perspective. This is not all that there is. Hebrews says this about Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured the cross, who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. We've like the perspective that Christ had in the middle of what we're about to read. It's got to, got to change us. Do you know what it means to be a disciple of someone? It's not so much paying attention to their teaching. While that's a part of it, more than anything, it's paying attention to how they live their life. And so as we watch Jesus encounter an awful night, pay attention to him and what he does and how he responds to circumstances and how he responds to People responding to circumstances. And let me say this. I know there are several of you here in this room that we've been engaging and talking to about leading groups and, and, and leading ministries and leading things. And, and we're insecure about our knowledge of, of the Bible. We're insecure about our knowledge of this or that. And we're, we're just concerned for what God is calling us to. But discipleship, and this is what, like, one of the key components of North Church is community-based discipleship. It's not so much, I I don't really care what you, like, if, if you can exegete a passage well. What I want you to do is model Christ in front of people. Follow Christ. And here, we see these personality traits just jump off the page about Jesus. And this is discipleship. You hear us talking about this vague notion of discipleship. This is what it's about. Act like Jesus acted. That means be meek. That means be obedient. That means have perspective. That this is not what it's all about. You guys might have, you live in St. Louis. You heard about Oscar Tavares. Passed away a week ago. Sad. I was driving home from work one night and I heard a sports radio guy talking about, he's like, I'm a Christian and, and I understand, being a Christian teaches me to believe that God is in control of everything. But I just can't fathom how God could take away 
someone that had such a zest for life and was so obviously talented and skilled and that God would give him this gift of his talent and his skill and give him this gift of this vivacious personality that God would do all of these things and then take him at 22 years old. It just does not make sense that God has robbed us of this gift. And I was in the middle of studying John 18 when I heard him say this. And I wanted to scream through the phone or scream through the the radio. It's not about now. And then I think about how overwhelmed I am by a few circumstances that are in my life. It's not about now, you dummy. The perspective of Jesus Christ. Then lastly... The love. A few hours before the events that we're going to read here in just a second. Jesus is washing the feet of Judas. The one who will betray him. The one who, when we read tonight, in this, in this moment, is betraying him. Just a few hours ago, was washing his feet. And Peter who denies him three times, wants to a 13-year-old girl. He's washing his feet. And those that come to arrest him, there's love in Jesus for everybody. And that's hard for me to contain. Because most of you guys are really easy to love. You're not going to deny me. You're not going to betray me. And you're going to be nice to me. And that's Great. Thank you. But some of you, or others that aren't here, want to throw me under the bus or throw you under the bus. But Jesus is not distracted by the behavior of people from his mission. So that's enough preamble. Let's get to the actual scripture. The wind has blown my Bible to Acts. I need to bear with me here. John 18. And again, we're going to read these familiar stories. I want you to see meekness. I want you to see obedience. I want you to see perspective. And I want you to see Jesus' love. And what happens here, it's about 1 a.m., by the way, in the life of Jesus when these events take place. 1 a.m., And probably about 8 o'clock that evening, he had just had the Last Supper and done the feet washing and all that stuff. So that gap is Jesus walking to the garden and praying with his disciples that Dave kind of talked about last week. Um, So it's 1 a.m. here when this stuff takes place. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And again, disciple is not someone you're didactically teaching all the time, but instead living life in front of them. Take solace in that. Those who lead community groups, those who lead women's ministries, those who lead men's ministries, those who parent your children, live life following Jesus. Verse 3, so Judas having procured a band of soldiers 
And some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Familiar passage alert. Stop and realize the, what's happening here. It's 1 a.m. Jesus is exhausted. He knows what's going to happen to him. And there's a crowd of people with weapons, lanterns, and torches. This is chaotic. Jesus remains meek, obedient, full of perspective, loving these people. Verse 4, then Jesus, important parenthetical reference by John, knowing all that would happen to him. Like I, I, that's, that's a simple phrase. It's the middle of the night. People are coming with weapons and torches to arrest you wrongfully, accuse you wrongfully, murder you, and you know all of it. And you're undeterred. There's going to come a time in our lives when we are in the middle of that garden. How will we respond? With meekness, with obedience, with perspective, with love? Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. It's a proclamation that he is God, and they're worried about it and don't know how to respond, which is just silly to me. If they acknowledge the godness of this man in this moment enough to fall to the ground, then why would you... Why, why would you go ahead and arrest him? Now, I, I want to say, wanted to say this earlier, but insert it now. There's spiritual warfare all over this page. Jesus is not wrestling against Pharisees or Judas or a weak Peter. He's wrestling against the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. The same ones that you and I wrestle with today. And Jesus' response is not one of fear or timidity or retreat. He knows what's going to happen and he pushes forward. The moment does not control Jesus' response and activities. Verse 7, so he asked them again. In other words, get up off the ground and do what you're supposed to be doing. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. So if you seek me, let these men go. He's loving his disciples. These men, there are his disciples that are around him in the garden. Let him go. Take me. This is to fulfill the word that had been spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword and being completely controlled by the moment, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your, sheath, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
do you, do you see the, like it's jumping off the page of me, and I hope you see the, the perspective and the meekness of Christ. He knows what's going to happen to him, and he knows it's going to appear to be bad in this moment, but ultimately it's good. It's for the joy that is set before him that Jesus endures this moment. Are, are you consumed with, with now? Probably. I'm consumed with now. I'm consumed with what's going to happen in my city when a grand jury reports. And I'm concerned with my role as leading my family in safety and blah, blah, blah. But Jesus speaks over us that this is momentary. This is fleeting. This is but a breath. The doctor's report that you have, the pain that you feel in your body, the, the frailty of your, of, of your parents, the, the fear of, of what's happening tomorrow or the next day, it just really doesn't make much difference. This is what meekness means. This is what it means to be, have perspective. Look at Jesus. Do you realize in this moment, Jesus could have been like, yeah. Let's just kill these people and go celebrate the Passover. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. A little historical lesson. Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is a high priest. Annas kind of served as like a, a mentor guide to Caiaphas. When he had an important decision, he would go talk to Annas. That's what's happening here. They go talk to Annas. What do we do? Verse 14. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Then John, parenthetically in his biography about the life of Christ, says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. He's talking about himself, that the other disciple is most likely John. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside of the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to a servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. In other words, John gets in and he Hey, let that guy in too. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are also not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. And this is the, the servant girl most people believe, most servants or most scholars believe is probably about 13 years old. He said to her, I am not, denied Christ to her. What must have been the personality traits of Peter to do such a thing. Verse 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Back to the high priest. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly in the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews have come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. 
When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Again, I, like, is there a more startling thing than to just get slapped in the face? And that's, Jesus is, is talking to the high priest and he slaps him, and, and the high priest's servant just slaps him in the face. And how does Jesus respond? If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if I said is right, why do you strike me? The thing that just overcomes me about this whole story is Jesus has full authority, full opportunity, full power to just be done with this. Like, if, if we had that, if we could just be done with this, we probably would. But there's more at stake, more in play than Jesus' immediate comfort. Do you, do you hear me? This is where it's got to change who we are. We can read the story of Jesus, we can nod, we can smile, we can say, wasn't that great? But do we hear it? This, if, if you could get out of the, of the tyranny of this moment, would you do it? Probably. If it meant leaving the, the mission that God has placed on your life, would you do it? Probably. But we need to see Jesus and his life needs to change us. And let me tell you, I'm, like, I get the benefit of having wrestled with these thoughts and these ideas all week long, and I am, I'm really preaching to myself in this moment. Let me just say that. So consumed with here and now. But you know, there's going to come a time, seriously, look at me, guys. There's going to come a time for those who have given their life to Christ, where the events of this world are going to be not even a memory Like, think about that. But yet we're so consumed. Peter and Judas are thoroughly consumed with themselves right now. And Jesus has been denied, has been betrayed, and has been slapped. And he's undeterred. Verse 25. Peter's up to it again. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it again and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Like we're really looking for the personality traits of Jesus, but I want to look at Peter just for a second. How fickle is this dummy? Like denying Jesus to a 13-year-old girl. And like just moments ago, he's cutting a dude's ear off. Like back and forth. Do 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 you see yourself there? Put me next to Jesus and man, I'm like I'm cutting dude's ears off. 
Get me in a fire around people who want to kill Jesus. And I'm denying him. You might be just like Jesus right now because you might have just gotten slapped in the face. But give me a little latitude because I slap myself in the face all the time. Not literally. Verse 28. Jesus is before Pilate and now it's about probably 6 a.m. John isn't interested in telling chronological events. He's, he's showing Jesus. He's portraying Jesus more than he is trying to chronologically of events. So there's a lot of stuff that happens that the other Gospels talk about that we don't read here in the Gospel of John during these events. Several other uh, trials. This one here that John relates is in front of Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor who has the authority to give to the Jews to execute Jesus. And the Jews know this, so they take him to Pilate so the Pilate can say, yes, it's okay, you may kill him. A lot of political stuff happening, but I don't want to get into that. Let's look at the personality traits, the character traits of Jesus here. And they led him from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Basically, a Jewish person could not enter the home of a Gentile person without becoming defiled and needing to be ceremonially washed so they could eat the Passover. A defiled Jew was not able to eat the Passover. The Passover was going to happen soon. You follow? So they're not going into his house. They're going to hang out in his backyard. Then they went to the home of, they left the house of Caiaphas and went to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled and, but could eat the Passover. Verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered them over to you. Like they don't even really make a charge. He's He's bad. If he wasn't bad, we wouldn't be here. Verse 31, Pilate said to them, Take yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Notice the, the, the events are manipulated here so that Jesus and, and Pilate are alone. The Jews won't come into his house. So now Pilate and Jesus are by themselves. Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus is not concerned with the moment, doesn't respond to the question, instead begins to teach. And the teaching that he gives here is something that is filled with perspective and filled with meekness and obedience and strength and love. And I want you to, to, to focus in on verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. 
My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Jesus is proclaiming nothing right now that's happening is happening because I don't want it to. Everything that's happening right now is happening because Jesus wants it to. Like that's, that's really big. Remove yourself from this story for a second. And speak this to yourself. Your kingdom is, the, the kingdom that you belong to is not of this world. And if it was, it would be a lot different. What's happening to you in this moment, Jesus is in complete control of. And if he wanted it changed, it would be, in fact, changed. But Jesus is weaving and orchestrating events for one purpose, that you might see him as your hope and nothing else. You have an enemy. His name is Satan. You have a hope, and his name is Jesus. Everything else is meant to distract you from that. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? He just said to him who, what the truth is. It's, it's him. He is the truth. And this word truth, I've taught this many times. Let's say it again. It's, it's the Greek word aletheia. That which is true under any matter of consideration. That which doesn't change. It's always going to be solid. It's always going to be true. It's never going to be any different. In a world filled with people grasping for something to cling to and build off of, Jesus is that thing. And we get confused about true and false and true and not true and, and, and subjective and objective and all these different things about truth. Philosophers argue about it. And Jesus is very simple and says, me. Pilate's confused. What is truth? After that, after he said this, he went back out to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt with him. There's, there's nothing this man has done wrong. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. But he passes the buck. You have a custom that I should release to you one man for the Passover. So do you want me to release this to you, this king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a, a robber. Um, we're, we're about to sing a song. Um, and one of the, the lyrics that you'll hear a lot is, You, my God, are greater still. God has blessed Kelly with a beautiful voice, and she's going to sing that over you. And 
a matter of minutes. And I want you, I've prayed for these moments, that we would allow that to to speak. This, whatever it is, wherever it is, God is greater than that moment. And to follow Jesus, do, do you see that? We talk about following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to act like Jesus. In the middle of circumstances, Jesus, what motivated him was the knowledge that God is, my Father is greater than this very moment. And rise and go and do as God has called you to do. It's so simple. Let's pray and let's worship our God together with what he has shown us today. Oh, you are beautiful, God. Your son and his example to us are beautiful. God, teach us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And give us the grace and strength, courage to be like Jesus. And give us the grace that when we are like Peter or like Judas, that we live in forgiveness and we live in repentance. We live in hope. God, you are beautiful. Your son is beautiful. Guide us now as we respond to you, as we worship you. In Christ's name.